Well, hey friends, great to be with you today. Uh, before we get to our message, I'd like to give you a quick preview of something new we're doing this fall. We're setting aside Sunday, November 20th, uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, for what we're calling Gratitude Sunday. It occurred to me this fall that our emergence from COVID has been so gradual, so full of fits and starts that we've never really taken a moment to, to thank God for seeing us through that season. I mean, let's not forget that our buildings were closed for 14 months, and yet we still found ways to worship, to grow, to serve our children and students, to stay connected in our groups, to serve our communities, and to impact the world. And that, that's remarkable. Let's not forget that for two and a half years, we didn't pass an offering plate. And yet we've been able to sustain our ministries, support our partners, and give hundreds of thousands of dollars to meet special needs and crises locally and globally. That's remarkable. And let's not forget that through this challenging season, we've continued to see people come to faith, join the church, find places to serve, be baptized, nearly 20 of them last Sunday. It's remarkable. God has been faithful, God has been good, and we have so much to be thankful for. So we want to express our gratitude on Sunday, November 20th with Gratitude Sunday services on each of our campuses, including online. Uh, you'll get to hear from your own campus pastor. You'll have a chance to share and hear stories of gratitude. And you'll have a chance to mark the moment by bringing a special offering that day, a gratitude gift over and above your regular giving. And that special offering will be a way of of thanking God for his goodness and faithfulness to you, to your family, to our church, and also a way of helping us close the gap as we continue working our way back to pre-COVID giving. So we'll be telling you more about it in the weeks to come, but we wanted you to begin thinking and praying about what you have to be grateful for as we approach that day and what you'd like to, to bring as a special offering on that gratitude Sunday. Well, let's get started today with, with a story that I think most of you will be able to identify with. As I was finishing my senior year at Wheaton College in Illinois, I was looking for a student ministry position. We called it youth ministry back in the day. I'd been dreaming about being a youth pastor since I was 14. I had double majored in Bible and education, I'd volunteered heavily in a local youth ministry all through college. And that spring, an opportunity opened up at a church in nearby Rockford, Illinois, which was great because Karen was still in school at Illinois State. It was a great position at a good-sized church with beautiful facilities. The interviews went really well, first with the pastor, then the search committee. I remember stepping out into that spring night after the second interview, walking toward the car I'd borrowed from my roommate, feeling pretty good about the whole thing. I thought I'd given good answers. They seemed to like me. I remember thanking God for how everything was falling into place. I'd get my dream job, I'd be near Karen, and I could finally buy my own car. <laughs> well, the next day, the senior pastor called and told me the committee had decided not to move ahead with me. They felt like I was too young and didn't have enough experience. Now, truth be told, I looked like I was about 12 years old, and I never had actually worked for a church before, so 
I don't blame them. But I was crushed. And it wasn't just that I didn't get the job. It was that I had failed. I had an opportunity and blew it. They didn't want me. And now I had to make the rounds and tell everyone that I didn't get the job. And to make matters worse, by the time graduation came, I still hadn't found a job, which meant I had to go back home, take a job at my old church as a glorified summer intern, be a thousand miles away from Karen, and move back into my childhood bedroom. It felt like failure. A failure can be defined as falling short of accomplishing something expected, desired, or approved. Can you think of a time in life when that happened to you? When you failed to accomplish something you'd set your mind to? Uh, when you failed to meet expectations your own or someone else's? Maybe it was a personal failure. You didn't make the team. You didn't get into the school you wanted. You failed to kick some habit. Maybe it was a professional failure. You didn't get the promotion. Your business tanked. You lost the account. You made a bad decision. The project you were working on got canceled. Maybe it was a relational failure. A breakup. Uh, you hurt somebody you love. You disappointed somebody who was counting on you. Maybe it was a spiritual failure. You sinned badly or publicly. You failed to do something you know the Lord was asking you to do. You, you, you fell away from God or church. Now, we know that failure is a fact of life. We won't always get it right. We can't accomplish everything we set our minds to but it still feels terrible. And it raises all kinds of questions. Why did we fail? What do we do with the failure? How do we overcome it and get on with our lives? What will it mean for our future? And, and where is God when we fail? Well, those are some of the questions we'll go after today as we continue our journey with Moses and the people of Israel. Uh, we're coming down the home stretch on the series. Uh, we'll take a break for Global Awareness Week next Sunday, and then we'll finish up with Moses' final days. Now, throughout the series, we've been looking at scenes from Moses' with God life as he and the people make their way out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and onto the Promised Land. Now, it turned out to be a long and winding road. Uh, so far, we've been in the book of Exodus, but the journey continues into the books of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. It covers a period of 40 years. Here's a simple map of what the, the journey might have looked like. Uh, you can see the people leaving Egypt uh, up there in the top left corner of the map. Uh, somewhere they cross over something called the Sea of Reeds. Then they head south to Mount Sinai where, where they received the commandments. Then they headed north again toward the land of Canaan, which would eventually become known as the land of Israel. And so a handful of months after leaving Egypt, they arrived at a place called Kadesh, right there on the top center right of the map. Now, we've skipped over a lot of what happened in those years. But as I reviewed the whole journey, 
I was struck by how much failure there was. Whenever things got hard, the people lost heart. They grumbled and threatened to go back to Egypt. Again and again, they complained. Not enough food, not enough meat, not enough water. When Moses was out of sight for a while up on Mount Sinai, they lost faith in Yahweh and built themselves a golden calf and worshipped it. But the most conspicuous and consequential failure took place when they arrived at Kadesh, which was basically the threshold to the promised land. Uh, Pastor John took us to this story a few weeks ago. And this was there where the Lord invited them to enter the land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God even promised to go with them and to give them victory over the enemies and ensure their possession of the land. But the people were afraid and decided not to go. It would be better for us to die in the desert than to die by the sword, they said. Very well, the Lord said, have it your way. But it means the whole generation of you will, will, will die in the desert. None of you will enter the promised land. Now, it, it could look like punishment for their lack of faith. But in reality, the Lord simply gave them what they wanted. They didn't want to go with God into the promised land. So God didn't make them. But the, they spent the next 40 years wandering around in the desert until that whole generation passed away. It's a pretty big fail with some serious consequences. The crazy thing is, God doesn't give up on them. He actually goes with them into the wilderness. He doesn't just go with them in the wilderness. He, he provides for them in the wilderness. More manna, more quail, more water, as we'll see in a minute. He, he sustains them in the wilderness. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their bodies didn't break down. He, he communes with them in the wilderness, pitching his tent, the tabernacle, right there in the middle of the camp. He guides them in the wilderness, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. He even gives them feasts to break up the monotony and rest from their work. God doesn't abandon them, even in their foolishness and their failure. And, and here's what that means for us when, when we fail, when we make foolish decisions, when we resist God in his ways. God never gives up on us. God continues to go with us and be for us. He doesn't, he doesn't spare us the consequences of those decisions, which can be painful to us and to the people that we love. But he won't abandon us. Uh, sometimes people have shared with me about some big mistake they made in their lives a bad decision, foolish choice, a deliberate or gradual turning away from God. I married the wrong person, they might say. I never should have taken that job or, or gone to that party or hung out with those people or bought that thing. And they say it as if they're doomed to be living a second or third-rate life 
as if they'll never know God's full blessing or goodness in their lives. But what we're learning here and throughout Scripture is that God never gives up on us. Even when those decisions and failures lead us into a wilderness, God goes with us. And while He can't spare us the consequences of those decisions or failures, He can work with them and work with us to carry out His good purpose for our lives and and even for the people that we love. One of the most loved verses in the whole Bible puts it this way. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. All things means all things, even our failures. And so, after 40 years of wandering, God leads the people back to Kadesh, where He's going to offer them a second chance to go with Him into the Promised Land. So let's jump ahead to a book called Numbers, to a scene that unfolds just before they're about to get that second chance. And we might call this little episode, Anatomy of a Failure. It begins in verse 1. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. So here they are, 40 years since they left Egypt, and they're back at Kadesh again. Now, at this point, just about everybody who had made the bad decision here last time, they've all passed away. But but the fact that they had come full circle couldn't have been lost on them. It must have been kind of a bittersweet moment. And what made it even more sobering was, was the death of Miriam, Moses' sister. The sister who had watched over him as a baby floating in the bulrushes. She was also a prophetess among the people and a fellow leader with Moses and Aaron. This was a big loss. It had to have been a lonely moment for Moses, losing not only his sister, but but his fellow leader. Unfortunately, it was about to get even lonelier. Let's pick it up at verse 2. Now, there was not water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Well, as the saying goes, these people are a piece of work, aren't they? I mean, how would you like to be their leader or their God? Put yourself in Moses' sandals for a minute. He's been doing this for 40 years now. He's tired. He's under a lot of stress. And he's facing a lot of criticism. We're not always our best selves under those circumstances, are we? I mean, think about the last time you made a bad decision or lost your temper with someone, or or were tempted to quit on a a project or a relationship or God. 
there's a pretty good chance you are tired or under stress or feeling attacked or maybe all three. So, so, so Moses is especially vulnerable right now. But, but he does the right thing. He takes it to God in prayer. Pick it up at verse 6. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down. The glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, so they and their livestock can drink. So the Lord meets Moses there in the tent of meeting, as he has so many times before. And he promises once again to provide exactly what Moses and the people need. It turns out that Moses and Yahweh have been down this road before way back at the beginning of the journey, when together they brought water from a rock. Let's keep going. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. So far, so good, right? Moses is doing exactly what the Lord asked him to do. What could go wrong? Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels! Uh Uh-oh. That doesn't sound like what the Lord probably had in mind. (laughs) Moses sounds just a bit edgy. He continues, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? Uh Uh-oh, again. Who's this we Moses is talking about? Isn't God the only one who can bring water out of a rock? Moses makes it sound like like he and Aaron are the ones who are about to do this thing. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. Looks like success, right? Well, not exactly. Uh, The people drank and were satisfied, which was obviously a good thing. But something went wrong along the way. Yahweh told Moses to speak to the rock. Moses decided to strike the rock twice. Now, this isn't the first time we've seen Moses like this, taking matters into his own hands, losing his temper, striking out in anger. The last time he did this, an Egyptian lay dead in the sand, And Moses spent the next 40 years hiding out in the wilderness of Midian. And this failure, too, will have some serious consequences. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. Now, why was this such a big deal? Well, this was supposed to be an opportunity for Moses to partner with God, to showcase God's power and goodness as the people prepared to enter into the promised land. Instead, Moses took it as an opportunity to vent his anger and call attention to himself. It wasn't just a leadership failure. It was a spiritual failure. 
Now, any kind of failure feels terrible, and usually it brings with it some unhappy consequences. Uh, whether it's a personal failure or a professional failure or a relational failure. But the worst kind of failure is spiritual failure, which the Bible calls sin. Remember our definition? Failure is falling short of accomplishing something expected, desired, or approved. When we fail spiritually, uh, we not only fall short of our own expectations and desires, we fall short of God's expectations and desires. And interestingly, that's the very same language the Bible uses when it describes sin. The most common biblical word for sin, hamartia in the Greek, literally describes missing the mark. The word picture behind it is that of an arrow falling short of its target. And one of the foundational verses on sin in the Bible says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now this is really important, because we tend to think of sin as breaking the rules. And generally speaking, when you break the rules, you get in trouble, right? You get punished. So we tend to think that, that God has this list of things we're not allowed to do. And if we do them, we get punished. But fundamentally, sin isn't about breaking God's rules. It's about falling short of God's glory, of his dreams and purposes for us and the world. Now, it's true, God, God has given us commandments and instructions, like the Ten Words from Mount Sinai. But those commandments were, were meant to be guidelines that would lead people to good and productive and satisfying lives. Life goes way better for us and everyone when, when we worship God, when we rest at least one day a week, when we honor our parents, when we're faithful to our spouses, when we don't take each other's stuff, and when we don't kill each other. And that's what God wants for us. He, he wants us to be the good and beautiful people we were meant to be, and to live the good and beautiful lives we were meant to live, and to bring about the good and beautiful world He had in mind from the beginning. And when we fail to do that, when we fall short of those good and glorious things, leads to all sorts of unhappy consequences for us and for the world around us. And ultimately, it separates us from God because it means we've chosen a, a without God life. So sin isn't really about breaking rules. It's about breaking relationships. It's not really about breaking God's commands as much as it's about breaking God's heart because we've chosen to do life without Him. I mean, I mean that's what happened here. Moses didn't break a rule. There was no law that said, thou shalt not hit rocks with sticks. Moses simply left God out of the scene. 
He broke faith with God. He, he broke the partnership that he and God had forged. He decided to do it his way, in his own strength, in a way that called attention to himself rather than to God. And so in that moment, Moses chose a without God life. And God couldn't let him bring that kind of leadership into the promised land. It was failure of the worst kind, and it led to some unhappy consequences. But once again, God didn't give up on Moses. God didn't dissolve the partnership. He and Moses would continue to lead the people all the way to the entrance to the promised land. Moses would even get to see that land and know that he had fulfilled his mission and God's purpose. And God doesn't give, on, give up on us either when we fail, when we sin and break faith with him. Moses didn't know it yet. But one day in the distant future, Yahweh would send his son into the world to suffer the consequences for all of our sins and failures, to die so that we wouldn't have to, so that we could be forgiven and restored to a with God life now and forever. So what we're learning here is that with God, Failure doesn't have to be final. God gives us the freedom to make our own choices, even when those choices lead us into a wilderness. But God goes with us into that wilderness and continues to work with us, to shape us and form us into the people we were meant to be, people who look and live like Jesus. Remember that wonderful verse we read earlier about, about how God works all things together? Listen to how the rest of it goes. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. God's purpose for your life is to make you more and more like his son, Jesus. It's to glorify himself and glorify you by making you the person you were meant to be so that with him you can help make the world around you the world it was meant to be. And God can and will take whatever happens to us in this life, even our failures, even our sins, and work with them and through them to fulfill his purpose for our lives and for the world. And by the way, don't get hung up on whether or not you're one of the predestined. As I read the scriptures, we were all destined to bear the image of God and to enjoy eternal relationship with him. So yes, God's purposes include you. Uh, we had a great night here last Saturday with Dr. Bell Yang, a psychologist and Grace Chapel member. She was sharing some insights from her new best-selling book, How to Navigate Life. 
And drawing from years of counseling and extensive research, she explained that, that people tend to be motivated or energized by one of two mindsets. A performance mindset, which drives us to pursue achievement and approval, or a passion mindset, in which we follow our hearts and pursue what brings us happiness. Uh, the problem with both those mindsets, she pointed out, is that, is that they always come up short. There's always someone who achieves more than we do. There's always someone who seems happier than we are. So it never feels like enough. What we really need, she explained, is a purpose mindset in which we find joy and meaning in, in making our unique contribution to the world around us. Because then no matter what or happen, whatever happens to us or around us, we, we can always be exploring and pursuing that unique purpose or calling. It's a brilliant insight that taps into a truth we discover right here in the scriptures, that every human being was made for a purpose, to glorify God and bless the world, by becoming the person they were meant to be in relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, many, many years after this incident with the water in the wilderness, Jesus of Nazareth stood up in the temple courts one day and said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And that's why, with God, failure doesn't have to be final. Because we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. I, I, I'm thinking back to my failure to get that job coming out of college. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't a spiritual failure on my part, I don't think, except for maybe a little bit of pride. But it was a big disappointment. It felt like a setback. And I wondered what, what had happened to God's call on my life and, and my dream of becoming a youth pastor. Well, I don't have time for the whole story, but I ended up spending, spending three years in, in that position at my home church. And the Lord used that experience in all kinds of ways to grow me as a Christian, to teach me skills for ministry, to deepen my relationship with Karen, to, to give me a heart for ministering in the Northeast, and to reveal his call on my life to be a pastor and a preacher. I don't know what failures might be coming to your mind today, big or small, recent or years ago, personal, professional, relational, even spiritual. And I don't know what the consequences of those failures might, might have been or might still be. But I do know that with God, that failure doesn't have to be final. He's ready to forgive, to restore, to pick up where you left off, and to fulfill His good purpose for you and for the world around you. Now, last week, I, I opened the message with a, a movie from the 90s, so let me close with one this week. I'm thinking of the movie entitled, A River Runs Through It. 
which was actually a breakout role for a young actor named Brad Pitt. Uh, the movie tells the story of the McLean family, who lived in the Montana wilderness early in the 20th century. The father of the family was a Presbyterian minister, stern but loving. The mother was gracious and godly. They had two sons, the oldest, firstborn Norman, who tells the story, and a younger son, Paul. Uh, we meet the McLean family when the boys are young, squirming in the front row while their father preaches in church. We watch them grow up through childhood, stormy adolescence, crossing a threshold into adulthood. Norman is cautious and studious. He goes off to college and becomes a writer and a professor. Younger son Paul is the daredevil, a ladies' man with a quick wit, a winning smile, and a penchant for getting himself in trouble. Now, those are the characters in the novel, but the real protagonist in the story is the Blackfoot River that runs through their part of Montana. And that river becomes the focal point of their family life and the catalyst for everything significant that takes place in their lives. It was walking along the banks of that river on Sunday afternoons that the father forged a relationship with his young boys, turning over rocks, teaching them about the world and about the God who made it all. It was the river the boys ran to after their studies were over, where sibling rivalry and brotherly affection flourished as they fished for trout together on that beautiful stream. When it came time for those adolescent boys to prove their moxie, they, they took a death-defying ride down the rapids in a stolen boat. It was on the river that, that young Paul made a name for himself as the finest fly fisherman in the territory. And when Norman came back from college searching for himself and his roots, it was to the river that he went to fish alongside his brother. The McLean family knew laughter and tears and success and failure, but always the river was there. It was the defining force in their lives and the spiritual center of the family. Montana would have been just a wilderness, their home just four walls and a roof, their individual lives just sound and fury, if not for the river running through it, providing beauty and meaning and connection. What we've been learning from Moses and his journey is that there's a river that runs through the lives of Christian people, a river that runs through the wilderness of this world, and that river is called the purpose of God. If you've never discovered that kind of purpose for your life, if you feel like you've failed somehow and lost your way, we'd love to come alongside you on this leg of your journey. Reach out to me, Brian with a Y at grace.org. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us into this world on purpose and for bringing us to this message on purpose. Forgive us, Lord, for our foolish and sometimes sinful choices to do life 
without you. Help us, Lord, to find and follow your good purpose for our lives through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.